Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Rex Miller, principal and thought leader, MindShift, discusses The Corporate Athlete, What Sports Science Tells Us About Workplace Performance. Hi, everyone. I'm Warren McShane. I'm with Humanize. We're sponsoring this event. Uh, and I, hear, I have here uh, Rex Miller, who is the principal and thought leader for MindShift. And we'll discuss today the workplace performance. Excuse me. We'll discuss today the corporate athlete, what sports science tells us about workplace performance. And here's a little background to set the stage for you all today. Rex Miller is an international award-winning keynote advisor and expert on organizational and team performance. His book, The Commercial Real Estate Revolution, won the Cornet Global Innovator Award and became a catalyst for the construction industry, adopting more collaborative and trust-based strategies. His next book, Change Your Space, Change Your Culture, addressed workplace disengagement, leading change, and won the Cornet Industry Excellent Award. Take it away. It's great to have you here. The last five years has been an incredible journey on researching why our country is getting uh, sicker and sicker and why wellness programs are ineffective. Uh, and I took a little bit of a turn because uh, I'm, a, I'm a certified tennis professional, so I keep watching what's going on in sports. How many have heard of the Tom Brady effect? Okay, what's the Tom Brady effect? Anyone want to venture out? You get better as you get older. How would you like to get better as you get older? Yeah, so I've been on that journey and I'm gonna share a little bit with you. This is gonna be a little bit of an oh my God factor. I call it the OMG factor. When you start seeing what we've been uh, recognizing in terms of what's going on in the workplace related to how sports science is tracking performance, it's going to blow your mind and you're all going to want to go home and get better sleep. How many stayed out a little too late last night? Okay. How many had one or two more drinks than you should have last night? I'm going to show you exactly how that affects you with my stats. So full disclosure. So let's start out here. This is me in 1979. Okay, what happened here? I had one of those nights. This was a blackout night, 1979. Okay, and then it looked like that. And I felt, how many of you felt like that? Ang like that? All right. If you live by technology, you die by technology. That's right. Okay, we're going to give it a second. That's why I started earlier. That's right, because you never know. How many use some kind of sports tracking band? Okay, how many of your bands have something called HRV monitoring, heart rate variability? Okay, fewer. That's the secret sauce to workplace resiliency and performance. Now, as we're waiting for this, uh, I just finished research on education and the stress on teachers. Has anybody got a teacher in your family? 
Do they feel stress? Okay. Gallup reports that 70% of them are disengaged, just like they do in the workplace. Our research is going to show we don't believe it's disengagement is the problem. We believe it's fatigue, depression, and other things that look like disengagement when you do a written assessment. Now, why is that significant? It's hugely significant because if you're solving the wrong problem, if it, so disengagement means they don't care. The problem with teachers that we found is they care too much. So we call it the caregiver's dilemma. Managers are in that same challenge. They get it from the top and they get it from the bottom. It's the most stressful part of corporate work. And it's usually the Achilles heel for most corporations. Now I'm totally off my message, but I hope this is helpful for you. Okay? Yep, we're good. Okay, this is me in 1979. You'll notice some things. It's a wooden racket. It's a very flat, I'm hitting very flat with no topspin at all. I want you to know I've completely changed my game. And, and it, yeah, it's a Jack Kramer, Wilson Jack Kramer. This is Wilson, that's Wilson. This was an advertisement for Pepsi, who owned Wilson at the time. And I was doing the shots for it. Okay, what's common between these three athletes? What's that? They're good, right? Yeah. Okay, here's what's common. This is Tom Brady, Roger Federer. What's going on in the sports world today? They're getting 10 to 12 hours of sleep. It's the new science of recovery. And we now have ways to measure. I have an app that tells me when I need to go to bed at night to be at my peak the next day. And I'm going to show you how that works. Okay? The particular band I use, which I think is the best right now, is called Whoop, W-H-O-O-P. But I also have an aura ring, and I also have a bio strap, and, I, and we've been testing for three years what's going on. So, for example, I'll be measuring this presentation as though it were a sports event to see the level of strain on my heart. And so... We talk about neuroscience, but it's really neurocardiology. It's really the re relationship between the heart and the mind. Because the mind can only function if the heart is in a particular range of what we call parasympathetic movement. And you have two sides of your autonomic nervous system. You have the on button, which is the sympathetic side. That's the fight, flight, perform, compete. Then you have the recovery side, which is called the parasympathetic side. And it only takes a little bit of stress before you go into shutting down this front part of your brain. So how many of you have read that certain email first thing when you get in the office and all of a sudden you're off? Okay. Your prefrontal cortex shut down. It's called an amygdala hijack. So sleep is the key. Heart rate variability is the new secret weapon for resiliency. Now, heart rate is one measure. So we measure resting heart rate as a key factor for resiliency. The lower your resting heart rate, the stronger your heart is. Heart rate variability is very different. It's what happens in between the beats. And what's happening in between the beats is your heart is fluctuating. 
And what heart rate variability measures is your heart's ability to respond to whatever the environmental demands create for you. So if you have to run fast, boom, you shoot out like a ro rocket. And then you can get back, if you have high right heart rate variability, you can get back into a rest state very quickly. If it's very low, then you're more like my 1976 Honda Civic in the winter, that when you step on the gas, it, how many have had that car where you stepped on the gas and it decelerated a bit before it accelerated? That's low heart rate variability. In fact, when it's flat, when your heart rate variability is flat, what does that mean? You're dead, right. So the moral resiliency, it's like a Porsche engine, it's that idle. This is what we need to work on for resiliency, is to build that up. And I'll show you what's happened to mine over the last three years and where it started and where it is today, just to show you what's going on. This is the technology that I'm using most of the time. Um, again, it's primarily, it was developed for professional athletes because the challenge they were having is something called overtraining syndrome. They were overtraining, getting injured, and they weren't ready for game day. This now lets you know, because this doesn't let you know if you've had one too many drinks. Uh, this tells you. So this establishes my baseline. My baseline is I need seven hours and 23 minutes of real sleep. That's not time in bed, because there's an efficiency factor in bed. My average efficiency is about 81%. That means I need eight and a half to nine hours in bed to get seven and a half hours of sleep. But it adds the day strain of the day. So this says 44 minutes of strain plus sleep debt plus any naps. And then that, that calculates how much time in bed you need. And then you can dial up whether I need to be at peak next day or just normal range or if I just need to get by. And it changes what time to go to bed for you. This is my trip to Los Angeles. Notice at home, recovery. Sports teams experience about a 40% drop in recovery levels the first day out. First day out, then I perform, then I start getting back home, then I recover again. If you crash, it takes several days for you to get back to high levels of recovery. During that presentation, now this will blow your mind, this is the oh my God factor. When I work out for 30 minutes or so, I burn about 400 calories. So I gave a, a presentation, a workshop, 1,500 calories in that workshop. Uh, my heart rate got up to 165. Now the oil ring translates the strain on your body in the equivalency of miles walked. Look at how many miles I walked in a three-hour workshop, the equivalent of, the strain on my heart. So what we found, the big breakthrough we've discovered uh, that I've verified with Whoop is that cognitive load and emotional load registers the same on your heart or on your central nervous system as physical load. Adrenaline, cortisol, heart rate, all of that measures the same with one exception. When you're doing physical activity, you burn off all that toxic cortisol, that jet fuel in your body. When you work, you go home and have an extra beer, eat comfort food, watch TV. That's why our nation is in the trouble it's in. All right.
This is a week. So I was in Boston, had a day to recover. Then I fly to Cincinnati, and guess what? I had two beers that night with a good friend who's going to be receiving a award tomorrow night. Then the next day, I didn't have any beers, but I had all days of workshop, full day of workshops. I get home, a little bit of recovery. I get home, a little bit more recovery. Okay, And I tell you what, you can feel the difference. I didn't know until I started using this technology what optimum peak felt like because we adapt and adjust, and most of us are suboptimal and don't know what optimal feels like. Okay, this is a report. After drinking alcohol consumption, your REM duration was 41% shorter after drinking alcohol. The two key parts of your sleep is the first part of your sleep is your deep sleep, and then the morning is REM. So if you go to bed late at night, you're cutting out that deep sleep, which is the stuff that makes you healthy. It cleans your system out. If you get up really early in the morning, 5, you know, 4, 30, 5 o'clock, you're cutting the REM cycle. That's when you're making sense of yesterday. Okay? So you need to know those two parts of sleep. I wish I could go into more detail, but I got to get through this 20 minutes. So I have a client. Uh, we do a lot of executive coaching, and we integrate this into our executive coaching. And I asked him about his sleep, and he told me he just bought a new Cadillac. The reason he bought the Cadillac is it has an eye motion detector that if you begin to fall asleep, it'll wake you up. And I said, this is the first thing we're going to work on. <laughs> and he told me, no, he can get by with less sleep. And he was telling me all this stuff. And I looked at him and said, so when are you going to stop talking? and listen to the numbers. And I gave him some numbers, then I showed him some brain scans. Um, by the way, my whole family's been brain scanned, so this is part of our research too. Uh, here's a text message from him about a, three months later. It took me about a month to hit him over the head several times. Okay. If you're getting less than six hours of sleep, if you're in bed less than seven hours, you're legally drunk when you go to work on the road. Think of any of your organizations that deal with heavy equipment, construction. How would you like your doctor on an operation to be operating with less than six hours of sleep? It's a life and death issue. Okay, this is the first time my mind went, oh my God. I did a, I did a, uh, a keynote for a large tech firm, the Global Real Estate Group. An hour of rehearsal in the morning, see the white? An hour for the keynote, 20 minutes for Q&A. 1,800 calories, the equivalent of a 20-mile walk. So they had an after-hours reception. I, once the adrenaline was gone, I just felt like I, I, I had a hard time just walking back to the hotel. This is what we do in the white collar world every day. How many go from meeting to meeting to meeting with no break? Your brain consumes more than 25% of your calories per day. 
Now there's other parts too, there's emotional impact too. You go into a negative meeting and then you go into another meeting, you're carrying over the residual effect of that last meeting. My recommendations, meetings no more than 15, 45 minutes longest with a 15 minute break with a recovery room where you can go and chill, meditate, whatever it is. And here's another part of the whole meditation thing that we've learned. The, mind, the heart, you have to first start with the heart. The body controls the mind, not the mind over the body. So when, that's why you do the breathing. The body-mind connection, you, you have to calm the body down so the mind can kick in, so then you can control the body. And that's what athletes do. Uh, I'm a tennis player. After a bad shot or a bad point, if you carry that over, so what do you watch them do? You watch them just kind of regroup, breathe, revisualize. That's what we should be doing during the day to cleanse out what the previous meeting was before we go into the next. Here was a video shoot I did, okay? I'm not very good at it. Stressful. <clears throat> that day, 1,500, the equivalent of 20.8 mile hike or walk, my heart rate got up to 163. Now here is an hour and a half of tennis that I played. I only got up to 157, higher average heart rate, but it's serious stuff. This corporate athlete stuff is serious. So some tips, digital sunsets. If you're looking at blue light, any time any, two hours before bed, your body has been told it's noontime. It takes about two hours for the melatonin, I mean for the cortisol to begin to dissipate for the melatonin to get in. If you're going to be watching anything, get some blue blockers. We wear Swanic, but there's others out there. Uh, it's vital that you begin to get the right habits around sleep. And one of them is digital sunset, okay? Get the, do not put your phone next to your bed. Do not look at an email before you go to bed. Okay, I know some of you are going to start going into shakes. The shakes are okay. <clears throat> Another, I've actually bought that hyperbaric oxygen chamber. I'm serious about the research. Uh, and, uh, and we have a family member who, who needs some with MS. So this is very good for autoimmune types of issues. But you'll start seeing that high, that higher levels of oxygen. It's all about the brain and repair of the damage we do to the brain every day. How many work in an environment where you, might, where you think you might be experiencing some brain damage on a daily basis? Okay, if your boss is here, I understand why you didn't raise your hand. Uh, all right. So here's some habits. First, begin to value sleep. It is the number one it's the number one health thing you can do to improve the way you feel, the way you perform, and extend your longevity. You can just send me an email, I'll give you the slide deck. No, and if you're getting less, I can show you the brain scans of what happens to someone who chronically has chronic sleep problems. It leads to dementia and early onset Alzheimer's. 
track your sleep. Number two, begin tracking it. I don't care what device you use, just begin to keep track of what's going on. Increase the amount of sleep. I don't care what you think you're getting now, increase it by an hour and start slowly. It took me about six months to change my habits. Well, that's a choice you can make, okay? And I can show you the numbers. The first time it hit me and I would get up, I'd go to bed 10, 30, 11, get up at five, go train, and then I saw my numbers. You're better off getting sleep and doing other things than to, to sacrifice the sleep. Uh, alcohol kills sleep, doesn't mean don't have alcohol, but at least two hours before bed. Uh, Eat light, eat early. Your body digesting. So anytime when you're asleep, you want your resting heart rate to get as low as it can be and your body temperature to get as cold as it can be. Cold rooms, uh, early di getting that digestion out of the way early is a great way to get a good night's sleep. Create the conditions. Dark room, cold room, no TV in your room. Your room is for one purpose, and your mind has to get habituated, and it will get habituated that when I go into this room, this is what we do. Of course, if you're married, there's other things you can do in the room that also engage the parasympathetic nervous system, by the way. Dogs also engage the parasympathetic nervous system. I don't know about cats. I, I don't know the research on that. No cell phone next to your bed. So let's look at we actually work with executive leadership teams. This team said they wanted sleep to be their number one professional development habit. So I track it on a weekly basis. And I can tell when the company is going through things. And I can tell when individuals are going through things. And we do coach on that. So here's where I started. December 29th, 2016. My average resting heart, uh, heart rate variability was 34. My average resting heart rate was 45. Just a week ago, my average heart rate variability is 81. My average resting heart rate is 40. I'm 65 in January. I'm younger today than I was five years ago. Sleep was the big shift. I still work out, still do the normal stuff, but it was sleep that changed everything. I also, in the morning, I will not answer emails or take calls before 10.30 in the morning because I've shifted to managing my energy versus managing my time. Now I've given you some handouts that you can take to do a little survey. If you take the survey uh, and just contact me, I'll, I'll be happy to go through it with you and help you improve your sleep, improve your resiliency, and perform at a higher level. If you want to, wherever I go, people start telling me they've got their whoop, so I take photos of them with their whoop. If you have a, uh, I've got one book to give away. Uh, who's got an aura ring? Anybody have an aura ring? Nobody has a whoop? Who's got a Garmin? Okay, you'll get the book. So I've got, I've got a couple books out, uh, Healthy Workplace Nudge, Change Your Space, Change Your Culture. Please give feedback. Uh, there's a lot to this that we could unpack that I had 20 minutes to do. I hope this was useful for you. Brady? What did your research tell you about the concept of power nap or siesta? I do take naps most days. 20, yeah, no more than 25 minutes. 
because then you go into a deep sleep rhythm. But most days, I'll, I'll take a break and take a power nap. You get about a 90-minute boost back from that. Yeah. I don't know anything about higher altitude. Yeah, that's a great question. I will stick around for some Q and A, uh, but my time is up. We're at 1:30. I hope this was helpful. I hope it opens your minds to some new things. Please reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, there you, you can find me at LinkedIn. Uh, I'll send you the slide deck. This has been recorded. We do a lot of work with individuals to help them improve their resiliency and restructure their day because most people think, I can't restructure my day, but I promise you can. If I can do it with my busy schedule, you can do it too. Thank you for your time. Thank you for tuning into What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org slash podcast.